Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive, and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper, and I'm so grateful you're here. Hello and welcome to, I guess, a bonus episode, a solo episode that uh, I've been looking forward to recording for some time. Welcome if you're new here to the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. My name is Kate Leeper. I'm a psychotherapist and feminine embodiment coach and the founder of the Alchemy School of Embodied Grief and Pleasure. And I haven't done a solo episode for some time. It's been a while. We've been having some really incredible conversations here um, with amazing guests all around grief, aliveness, pleasure, the feminine, sensuality, sexuality, all the things. And today I wanted to come back to, I guess, one of the core themes that I work with women around here at the Sensual Alchemy School because I get a lot of questions. There is a lot of interesting conversation that happens behind the scenes, particularly in my Instagram DMs. So if you're not following me, I'm at kate.leeper on Instagram. And today is all about exploring and teasing apart the costs to avoiding your grief, also your emotional landscape in general, but particularly the costs of choosing to come into a meaningful relationship to your losses and to your grief and what that looks like. So I suppose this was inspired by a question that someone posed to me recently. And they asked me, if I were to just go on pushing my grief aside like I always have, will it actually hurt me in the long term, in the short term? Is it hurting me now? And they said, if I know it's there, but I don't choose to work on it, quote unquote, will there be a difference to my life? Because they're, you know, they were really not keen to feel the pain for fun, right? So they needed to know that there was a reason to do it. They were called into my orbit, my work. There was something really drawing them into um, Grief Weavers, particularly my my four-week course for women. But they just needed to know there was a reason to do it. They weren't going to blow up their life. (laughs) And you know what? This question is just the best question because it it forces me to dig really deep and get really clear into my own personal before and after and, you know, what I'm currently wading the waters and also into the experiences of hundreds and hundreds of clients that I've supported through both therapy and embodiment coaching, also into the research, the grief, the embodiment research 
and into what I choose to believe based on what I know about humanity, what I know about aliveness. So today I'm going to shed some light on what the real costs are when it comes to our willingness to acknowledge, process and make space for the impact of our losses. Within that, I'll also speak to some of the costs of moving towards your grief and your heartache and the price that you might pay for taking that route as well, because there's no such thing as good, bad, right, wrong. It is all very nuanced. It is, yeah, it it is not cut and dry. But before we dive in, If you are new to this podcast and the way that I understand grief and the way I support my clients to be with and move through grief, I think it's important to know that here at Sensual Alchemy School, the human grief experience is fundamentally understood as sacred. Grief is never pathologized as a mental health problem here. And what I mean by that is though, I absolutely believe that unprocessed grief and traumatic grief impacts our mental health. Grief itself is not an illness. It is not a condition. It is a normal human response to loss that can be excruciatingly complicated and layered and disenfranchised, but it is not a problem to be fixed. And this brings me back to the sacredness of grief. What do I mean by that? Well, even if you aren't someone who identifies as spiritual and the word sacred makes you feel a bit queasy and uncomfortable, I'm inviting you to consider the opposite of what we're culturally programmed to believe, that grief is not a sign of weakness. It's not something that you need to be strong enough to, quote, unquote, get over. It's not something that should be overpowered in order to be happy. And when I call grief sacred, I'm referencing a real, raw, powerful aspect of being human. The primordial, authentic expression of having lost something that we believed made us whole. The inevitable underbelly of love. There is only one other human state that makes our heart ache so deeply, and that is love. This is what makes grief sacred. This is what makes grief worthy of genuine devotion when it crosses our path. All right, so from this foundation, my loves, let us delve into the costs of actively and intentionally meeting with grief, surrendering to grief, and letting grief lead you as opposed to actively avoiding grief by way of numbing it, intellectualizing it, pathologizing it, running away from it, you name it. So I've identified firstly two possible costs to your life when you actually front up to your grief, when you choose to intentionally engage with your grief, because there are costs to that as well. And here they are. So the first one is you will be uncomfortable. It will hurt. Now, that might actually seem like the most obvious reason why you wouldn't choose to be with your grief intentionally, why you would avoid it. But here's something I need you to know. 
it's going to feel shitty either way. The difference is when you consciously work with your grief, when you learn how to ride the waves, you become present with emotional pain from an empowered place. When you choose to actively move away from facing the pain of your losses, it's still going to feel terrible. But now it feels doubly terrible because you're experiencing the discomfort of the avoidance strategies, whether that be drinking, eating, partying, shopping, grief away, stewing and rage as a mechanism to protect you from sorrow, piling on stress in the form of overachieving or climbing success ladders, you know, all the things that you might invest in, in order to not feel the grief will bring an additional layer of turmoil. So the cost of opening your heart to your grief may be that it's going to hurt at points along the journey, but it will hurt more than the effort that goes into closing your heart. And I believe that deeply. Number two, in the process of reconciling the depths of your loss, things will change for you. And this may come in the form of more losses alongside major gains. This is a really interesting one, and it's my view that it comes down to this. When you begin to drop the layers of protection that have been guarding your heart, helping you cope with shame, insecurity, or fear, and that have shut you off from your true desires, you become very clear on the ways you've been showing up in your roles and relationships that are way out of alignment with who you really are underneath it all. And there comes a point where you're so well-practiced at welcoming discomfort, at holding space for grief and at sincere self-compassion and allowing all of you to rise to the surface, to be seen and received, that there will be people, jobs, communities, values, and dreams that are simply no longer a match for you in the life you want to live. It will feel more painful to hold on to them than to let them go. And that is a significant cost to your congruence and integrity. And actually, lastly, I think the other cost to mention is the cost of no longer existing in the realm of ignorance is bliss. And what this means is that grief, when you let it in, is a full-bodied experience of awakening. It's also a layered experience that is impacted by cultural, political, systemic, and ancestral and existential factors. You know, it seems to be one of those things that once you open yourself to living an embodied life, welcoming all of you back home to yourself, you actually begin to feel more internally and notice more externally. You break out of the boxes that you've been molded into. You challenge cultural narratives. You question outdated assumptions and values. You want to heal both backwards and forwards in time so you can integrate the past and attempt to make life different for your children as it was for you. And there's something to be said for ignorance is bliss. And for some people, this is a comfy space they're prepared to hang out in for all time. But ignorance does not make for a rich, deep, full existence. This we have to choose. 
So there's likely to be far more costs to becoming grief literate and empowered, but I feel like, you know, they're the big ones that I'm aware of and it's really important to put it out there. But on the flip side, now I want to share with you what I understand to be the price of not feeling your grief, of consciously avoiding vulnerability, tenderness, and the reality of loss. And I've got to be honest with you, there are so many. And the more that I work with women, the more I study the effects of grief. And the more I reflect on my own life, the more clarity I gain around the role our relationship to grief plays across a lifetime. All right, so let's dive into the number one cost, and it is pivotal. It's this the cost to not engaging with our grief is that we deceive ourselves to achieve outer harmony. You know, our bodies are so wise, our brains, our nervous system, constantly working to protect us from perceived threat. The tricky part of that is that when the ramifications of different losses that we've accrued over the years like the death of loved ones or loss of autonomy and personal power through abuse and violation or major role and identity changes or significant health issues, illnesses or traumatic events that altered our way of life forever, divorce, job change, you name it. When these losses and the effects of the losses layer upon one another and they merge, we turn into walking, talking survival mechanisms. We lose contact with our essence, our authenticity, our desires, our truth, because along the way we learned we couldn't trust life with these fragile, precious parts of us. And where this was mostly unconscious, We also learn from culture that strength meant picking ourselves up, pushing on, painting a smile on. So we chose to do that because anything else meant weakness, patheticness, failure. So when I say that a huge cost of not being in honest relationship with our grief is living in a state of self-deception, it's not to say we decide we're going to pretend and lie about who we are and how we really feel. No, it's to say that we've been programmed to believe that if we were to reveal our truest expression, that would be the end of us. No one would love or respect us. We wouldn't amount to anything. So in order to maintain the illusion of outer harmony and control, we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves about who we are and how we feel because then it's easier to show up in the world that way. I've been here and it's a super painful place to be. I remember someone saying a while ago, and I've kind of adopted it as a bit of a guiding principle for myself. I'm not sure exactly who said it and when, but something along the lines of this, as I've grown and shed this this skin of self-deception, I can feel my outsides begin to match my insides. And there is sheer relief in that. And I I feel like that's what so many of us yearn for, our outsides matching our insides. Okay, 
So number two, the second cost, which is major, is that when we don't acknowledge our grief, it will manifest and shapeshift into other mental health issues, emotional challenges, and physical illness. I think sometimes we like to believe that if we ignore something, it goes away. (laughs) And where this might be ideal, when it comes to our body and our emotions, they never go away. They just go underground. And I've become acutely aware of this in my own life. And I support so many women who have recognized, agonizingly so, the link between their own health conditions, perhaps anxiety or autoimmune disease, even cancer and suppressed grief, trauma, and the combination of both. I know for me, it was quite a line in the sand when I began began to experience physical symptoms. I was already immersed in embodiment work, so I couldn't turn my back on my own intuition or instinct anymore. I was just too deep. You know, I just knew and I saw it for what it was. When I began the honest exploration into what my body was trying to communicate to me, it was impossible to ignore the emotional connection. And also I've spoken numerous times and I continue to read and hear other psychotherapists and mental health professions concur with how grief is dismissed as a major contributor of depression. In this way, when loss isn't understood as a compounding factor that layers and toxifies in the system when it's not honoured and understood, grief then becomes pathologized as part of depression. And here's what I want to be clear. Grief is not the same thing as depression or anxiety. You may have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety and have received incredible support, medication even that has been life-changing for you. And I see you in that. And I'm so thankful that you have received that. What I'm speaking to is how along the way, grief being a natural and important human response to loss, loss encompassing so many complicated and interwoven factors, not just the death of loved ones, has been stigmatized and relegated to the shadows. It's been jammed into diagnostic boxes and prescribed interventions where it actually requires us to develop a deep reverential relationship to it in order to grow, heal, and thrive. Okay, let's move on to the next one, number three. Okay, number three, the cost is a reduced capacity to create real connection and intimacy with self and others. You know, I think this one surprises people initially, but once they become aware that their grief has been unconsciously driving them to show up in certain ways, maybe to hide, to be closed off, to numb out, to run away from commitment, whatever the case, it then becomes pretty obvious the ways that these behaviours and the behaviours of others have affected the quality of their relationships. You know, from creating layers of protection to avoid vulnerability, which in turn makes intimacy impossible, to helicopter parenting due to fear or codependency, insecure attachment, these are all byproducts of loss that accumulate along the way. 
So if we're not on, if we're not consciously aware of them and we haven't made space for these mechanisms to be seen for what they really are, we won't be able to have and hold the relationships we deeply crave. And there's so much emphasis in the self-development world on trauma healing. So again, because of that, so many people dive straight into how do I fix my trauma? And they're completely unaware that unacknowledged and unexpressed grief is likely to be a major player in why they're not able to get to the heart of the trauma when they so desperately want to. And the thing is that grief work is actually not laborious. It's not medicalized. It's rich. It's meaningful and tender, and it takes time and care. But it's crafted by you and for you. Once people learn this, the shifts available to them and their relationships are monumental. This is really why I do the work I do. All right, next, number four. This one can be a cost. I mean, they're all game changers, but this one is a big game changer. I'm talking about the cost of our children inheriting our grief. The price that our children pay when we choose not to front up to our aching hearts. And look, we only need to feel into the grief we have inherited from our own parents and all the way down the line. And let me say here, this is not a blame game. I deeply trust that we all do our best with the resources, understanding and skills available to us at any time in our lives. And also we can never eradicate grief from our children's blueprint or from their lives. Grief is part of life. It is unavoidable. All of us. It is human. What I'm referring to is the grief that we choose to bury that then morphs into the relational issues and patterns that I mentioned above. Issues with addiction, mental health, physical health that our children will be impacted by. Nothing exists in isolation and grief is often the piece that informs how families and generations of families exist together and in the world. And again, I know that so much grief that many communities hold is a result of oppression and harm caused by others. So I'm not saying, well, you better deal with that, otherwise you're going to fuck up your kids. No, I'm not in the business of blaming victims ever. What I gently invite you into considering is that where we can't change the past and we can't always bring about justice, we can choose how we relate to our grief. We can choose how to transmute it in ways that are healing and will promote healing for those that come after us. All right, we're heading to the pointy end. Number five, which is the final cost in today's episode, but there is no doubt many more. But today, the final cost to avoiding our grief is simple yet fundamentally challenging. <laughs> when we avoid our grief, ultimately we move away from living and we are merely existing. Our heart is beating, our lungs are taking in oxygen, but we are not fully alive. 
I think this is the primary reason so many women reach out to me, do my courses, work with me one-on-one, because over time, they've begun to gradually awaken to this painful truth and they refuse to merely exist any longer. Oh, well-practiced at avoiding grief. They've buried and numbed and intellectualized their losses away for so long that they are terrified of what might happen when they open themselves up. This is where I invite you to take a big inhale and a slow exhale, my loves. If this is you, I want you to hear this. I want my words to land in your heart. If you share this longing to move towards aliveness, and acknowledge the grief you've been carrying, then you are ready. Your wise body is telling you, you are ready. Otherwise, you wouldn't be receiving the message and the ache for change would not be present. The next thing is that if you've been closed down to feeling, your grief as a concept will be far more terrifying because it's, it's far away. It's an idea. Up close, when you are held and safe, when you invite it in little by little, after stability has been prioritized, it becomes less terrifying. It will absolutely bring truth and wisdom. It may actually bring beauty. And it will reveal what you need to move forward in the most honoring ways. It's bone deep relief when you begin to forge a new relationship with your grief. And I want that for you. Okay. Ugh. So in today's solo episode, I've shared with you the costs. Firstly, the costs of choosing to meet your grief. And secondly, the costs of not and of continuing to exist in the corner of the big, beautiful expanse of your life, unable to bloom into the glorious, bright richness available to you. It's a lot to chew on, but I invite you to notice what struck a chord with you What maybe is rubbing against some of your beliefs or uh, just the ways in which you've been living in an uncomfortable way? Be kind to yourself in that. Let that be okay. And as I wrap today, I want to remind you that the next round of Grief Weavers kicks off the week beginning 14th of August. And I say week beginning 14th because we are currently trying to meet the time zone needs of all enrolled so the live classes can be accessible to as many people as possible over the course of four weeks. But they are always recorded and archived and you have your own learning learning platform. We come together as a community as well um, over the month. So it's a really beautiful, valuable container to be a part of. 
But if you're not familiar with this introductory course that I facilitate for women, this is a sacred online circle where you'll be guided into your own wise body to develop a new relationship with your grief, one that is healing and resourcing from the inside out. And it is only four weeks, but it is a major pattern interrupt this course. So it will shift things for you and allow you to access the aliveness and pleasure within your body right now. So you can continue to soften and open to it in your everyday life. Now, if this interests you, you can find all the details at kateleeper.com slash griefweavers or check out the show notes for the link. You can also find me at kate.leeper on Instagram, as I mentioned, if you want to learn more about the work I do. Finally, if today's episode has been useful for you, I would love to ask you a favor. If you could jump onto Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate and review the Sensual Alchemy School podcast, that would mean so, so very much. Thank you to everyone who shared your reflections and reviewed the show. Your words mean a lot. You know, they make it so much easier for others to find this information. They're affirmative. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I urge you to take that five seconds in your day to do that. Okay, lovers, big hearted ones, I see you. I hope you have a fabulous week and reach out at any time. I am here. Take care. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leeper. I'd love to hear from you.